giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the giant robots smashing into other giant robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Victoria Guido, and with us today is Leonard S. Johnson, or LS, founder and CEO, AIEDC, a 5G cloud mobile app maker and service provider with machine learning to help small and mid-sized businesses create their own iOS and Android mobile apps with no code or low code so they can engage and service their customer base, as well as provide front and back office dissertation services for small businesses. Leonard, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Victoria. I should say LS, thank you for being with us today. It's it's okay. It, it's, it's fine. Great. Well, yes. So tell us a little more about AIEDC. Well, AIEDC is, is stands for Artificial Intelligence Economic Development Corporation. And the original premise that I founded it for, and I founded it after completing my postgraduate work at Stanford, and that was 2016, was to use AI for economic development and therefore use AI for good versus just hearing about artificial intelligence and some of, you know, the different movies that it'll take over the world and Skynet and watch data privacy and these other things, which are true. And it's very evident they exist and they're out there. But at the end of the day, I, I've always looked at life as a growth strategy and, and the improvement of what we could do and focusing on what we could do practically. You know, you do it tactically, then you do it strategically over time and you're able to implement things. That's why I think we keep building collectively as humanity, no matter what part of the world you're in. Right. So you went to Stanford and you're from South Central LA and what about that background led you to pursue AI for good in particular? Okay, yeah. So growing up in the inner city of Los Angeles, you know, that South Central area, Compton area, it, it taught me a lot. And then after that, I after I completed high school, and not in South Central because I moved around a lot. I was grew up with a single mother, never knew my real father. And then even my home life with my single mother wasn't good um, because of just circumstances all the time. And so I just started understanding that, you know, I, even as a young kid, it, it was um, you put your brain, you utilize something because you had two choices. It's very, it's very uh, simple or binary, you know, A or B. A, you do something with yourself or B, you go out and be social in a certain neighborhood and you're, you know, and I'm African-American. So your high probability that you'll end up dead or in a gang or in crime or, or somehow because that's what it was at that time. It's just, that's just the situation. Or you're able to, you know, challenge those energies and sort of put them toward a, a use that's productive and positive for yourself. And that's what I did, which is utilizing um, um, a way to, to learn. I could always pick up things when I was very young. And, you know, a lot of teachers, my younger teachers were like, you're very, very bright or you're very smart. You know, and there wasn't many programs because I'm, I'm much, you know, I'm older than 42. So there wasn't as many programs as there are today. So I, I really like all of the programs. So I want to clarify the context. Today, there's a lot more engagement and identification of kids that might be sharp or smart or whatever they, their, their, um, their personal, you know, issues are, good or bad. And it's a way to sort of separate them. So you're not just teaching the whole group as a whole and putting them all in one basket. But back then there was not. And um, so I just used to go home a lot, do a lot of reading, do a lot of studying and just knickknack with things in, in, in tech. And then I just start understanding that even as a young kid in the, in the inner city, you see economics very early, but they don't understand that's really what they're studying. Like they see economics, you know, they can see inflation because, you know, making two ends meet are very difficult. They may see gang violence and drug dealing or whatever it might end up being. And a lot of that, in my opinion, is always an underlining of economic foundation. And so people would say, oh, why does these, you know, these inner cities and so forth, why does this keep happening? It's because they they can't function. And, and sometimes it's just them and their family, but they can't function because it's an economic system. So I started focusing on that and then went into the Marine Corps. And then after the Marine Corps, I went to Europe. I lived in Europe for a while to do my undergrad studies in the Netherlands and Holland. Mm. So having that experience of taking a challenge or taking these forces around you and turning into a force for good, that's led you to bring the power of AI to local economics, right? And is that the direction that you went eventually? So economics was always something that I understood 
and, and had a fascination prior to even starting my company. I started in 2017 and we're crowdfunding now and I can get into that later. But I have self-funded it since 2017 to, I think I only started crowdfunding when COVID hit, which was 2020, just to get awareness and people out there because I couldn't go to a lot of events. So I'm like, okay, how can I get exposure? But yeah, it, it was a matter of looking at it from that standpoint of economics always factored into me. Even when I was in the military, I was in the Marine Corps, I would see that we would go to different countries and you could just see the difference of how they lived and survived. And another side note, my son's mother is from Ethiopia, Africa, and I have a good relationship with my son and his mother, even though we've been apart for over 15 years or we're divorced for over 15 years or so or longer. But trying to keep that, you could just see this dichotomy. You go out to these different countries and it's just, even in the military, it's just so extreme from the U.S. and any part of the U.S., but that then always focused on economics and then technology. I just always kept up with it. Like back in the 80s, when the, when the mobile brick phone came out, I had to figure out how to get one. You know? so, and, then, and then I tried to take I took it apart and then put it back you know, together just to see how it works. So, yeah. Yeah. But it was a used one, by the way. I mean, it was like someone like got another one and it broke it and they thought it was broke. And they're like, this doesn't work. Yeah, you could take this piece of chocolate. I'm like, okay. Like, oh, great, terrible. Yeah. No, I love technology. And I think a lot of people perceive artificial intelligence as being this super futuristic, potentially harmful, maybe economic negative impact. So what, from your perspective, can AI do for local economics or for people who may not have access to that advanced technology? Well, that's the key. And that's what we're looking to do with AIDC. When you look at the small and mid-sized businesses, it's not what people think or the perception is. It's a lot of those in the U.S., it's the backbone of the United States economy, literally. In other parts of the world, it's the same, where it could be a one or two, you know, mom and pop shop. That's what that name comes from. It's literally two people. And they're trying to start something to build their own life over time because of using their labor to maybe build wealth or somehow, you know, a little bit. Not, and when I mean wealth, it's, it's always relative. It's enough to sustain themselves or, or just put food on the table and, and be able to control their own destiny to the best of, of their ability. And so what we're looking to do is make a mobile app maker that's 5G, uh, that lives in the cloud, that's 5G compliant, that will allow small and mid-sized businesses to create their own iOS or Android mobile app with no code or low code, basically like creating an email. That's how simple we want it to be. When you create your own email, you know, whether you use Microsoft, Google, or, or whatever you do. And you make it that simple, and there is a simple version, and, and there could be complexity added to it if they want. That would be the back office digitization or customization. But that then gets them on board with digitization. It's intriguing that McKinsey just came out with a report stating that in 2023, in order to be economically viable, and this was very recent, that all companies would need to have a digitization strategy. And so when you look at small businesses and you look at Things like, you know, COVID-19 or, or the COVID current ongoing issue and that disruption. This is global. And you look at even the Ukrainian war or, or the Russia-Ukrainian, however you term it, invasion, war, special operation. These are disruptions. And then on top of that, we look at climate change, which has been accelerating in the last two years, more so than it was prior to this, that we've experienced. So this is something that everyone can see as self-evident. I'm not even focused on the cause of the problem. My brain and the way I think and my team, we like to focus on solutions. Like my chairman is a former program director of NASA who managed 1,200 engineers that built the International Space Station, you know, what was it, 20, 30 years ago, however that is. And he helped lead and build that from Johnson Center. And so you're focused on solutions because if you're building the International Space Station, you can only focus on solutions and, and anticipate the problems, but not dwell on them. And so... That kind of mindset is what I am, and, and it's looking to help small businesses do that to get them on board with digitization and then in customization. And then beyond that, use our system, uh, which is called Mine. So we own these, uh, we own patents, three patents, trademarks, and service marks related to artificial intelligence that are in the field of economics. And we will utilize devs. We plan to do that, which is discrete event system specifications to, to predict regional economic uh, issues like the weather, 
not in, in a proactive way, not reactive. A lot of economic situations are reactive. It's reactive to the Federal Reserve raising interest rates or lowering interest rates, Wall Street, you know, moving money or not moving money. It is what it is. I, I mean, I don't judge it, call it, you know, I think it's like financial engineering and that's fine. It's profitability. But then at the end of the day, if you're building something, it's like if we were going to go to space, when rockets launch, they have to, you know, do what they're intended to do. Like I know that Blue Origin just blew up recently. Or if they don't, they have a default. And at least I heard that the Blue Origin, you know, satellite, um, it, if it were carrying passengers, the passengers would have been safe because it disembarked when it detected its own problem. So when you anticipate these kind of problems and you apply them to the local small business person, you can help them forecast and predict better, like what weather prediction has done. And, and we're always improving that collectively for weather prediction, especially with climate change, so that it can get to near real time as soon as possible or a closer window versus two weeks out versus two days out, as an example. Right. Yeah. Is those examples of what you call like a narrow economic prediction? Correct. It is intriguing when you say narrow economic because it would be narrow AI, but it would actually get into AGI if you added more variables, which we would. The more variables you add in, in tendencies, say if you're looking at events, the system events uh, description, so discrete event system specifications, you would specify what they really, really need to do to have those variables. But at some point, you're working on a system, what I would call AGI, but AGI in my mind, the circles I run in is, at least, or at least most of the scientists I talk to, is not, a, or it's not artificial superintelligence. And so the general public thinks AGI, and I've said this to Stephen Arbarki, you know, who's the founder of AI for Good Global Summit at the United Nations, in one of his interviews as well. It's just artificial general intelligence, I think, has been put out a lot by Hollywood and, and entertainment and so forth. And some scientists say certain things. We won't be at artificial superintelligence. We might get to artificial general intelligence by 2030 easily. Um, in my opinion, but that will be narrow AI, but it will cover what we look at in the field is cross-domain, teaching a system to, to look at different variables. Because right now it's really narrow, like natural language processing. It's just going to look at language and infer from there. And then you've got backward propagation, that's credit assignment and, and fraud and, and detection. Those are narrow data points. But when you start looking at something cross-domain, right? Who am I thinking of? Pedro Dominguez, who wrote the, the Master Algorithm, which actually Xi Jinping has a copy of the president of China on his bookshelf in his office, because they've talked about that. <laughs> and, you know, these these great minds, because Stephen Abarki has interviewed like these and the founder of Google Brain and all of these guys. And so there's always this debate in the scientific community of what is narrow AI, what is not. But at the end of the day, I just like Pedro's definition of it because he says the master algorithm will be combining all five. So you're really crossing domains, which AI hasn't done that. And to me, that would be AGI. But that's not artificial superintelligence. And artificial superintelligence is when it, it becomes very, you know, like some of the movies could say, if we as humanity just let it run wild, it could be crazy. One of my questions is the future of AI more like iRobot or Bicentennial Man? <laughs> I, I, well, you know, interesting. That's a great, great question, Victoria. I see most of AI literally as iRobot as a tool more than anything, except at the end, what it implied. See, it kind of did two things in that movie, but a wonderful movie to bring up. And, you know, I like Will Smith perfectly. Well, I liked him a lot more before. I think iRobot's probably the better movie. Well, yeah. So if people haven't seen iRobot, I like Will Smith, the actor, but yeah, iRobot, but it showed you two things. And it showed you, one, it showed how literally the robot, because a lot of people uh, put AI in robots, and AI by itself is just, it's the brain or the mind, I should say. Hardware are the robots or the brain. Software, AI in of itself is software. It's the mind itself. That's why we have MIND, Machine Intelligence Neural Network Database. We literally have that. That's our acronym and our slogan and everything, and it's part of our, our patents. But it's machine intelligence is m.i.n.d. And we own that. You know, the company owns it. And so mine, we, we always say AI powered by mine. But we're talking about that software side of like what your mind does. It iterates and thinks the ability to think itself. Now, it's enclosed within a structure called, you know, for the human, it's called a brain, the physical part of it. And, it, and that brain is enclosed within a body. So when you look at robots, and my chairman was the, the key person for robotics for the International Space Station. So when you look at robotics, you're putting that software into hardware, just like your cell phone. You know, you have the physical and then you have the, the actual iOS, which is the operating system. So when you think about that, yeah, iRobot was good because it showed how these could be tools and they were very 
in the beginning of the movie, very helpful, very beneficial to humanity. But then it went to a darker side and showed where Vicky, you know, which was an acronym as well. I think it was Virtual Inter- virtual Interactive Kinetic Technology or something. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I believe it was Virtual Interactive Kinetic Inference or Technology or something like that. Vicky, I forgot the last I. But that's what it stood for. It was an acronym to say, and then Vicky just became all aware and start killing everyone with robots and just wanted to say, you know, this is fruitile. But then at the very, very end, Vicky learned from itself and says, okay, I guess this isn't right. Or the, the other robot who could think differently argued with Vicky and they destroyed her. And, and they made Vicky a woman, you know, in, in the movie. And, and then the robot was the guy. But that shows that it can get out of hand. But it was intriguing to me that they had her contained within one building. This wouldn't be artificial superintelligence. Uh, and I think sometimes Hollywood says, hey, just take over everything from one building. Uh, no, it would have to. It wouldn't be on Earth if it could. But that is something we always have to think about. We have to think about the worst case scenarios. I think every prudent scientist or business person or anyone should do that, even investors. I mean, if you're investing in something or for the future. But you also, you don't focus on it. You don't think about the best case scenario either. But there's a lot of dwelling on the worst case scenario versus the good that we can do. Given, look at where humanity is today. I mean, we're in 2022 and we're still fighting wars that we fought in 1914. Right. Which brings me to my next question, which is both, what are the most exciting opportunities to innovate in the AI space currently? And conversely, what are the biggest challenges that are facing you know, innovation in that field? Oh, that's a good question. I think in my opinion, it, it's both. It's almost the same answer. One is, but I'm in a special field and I'm surprised there's not a lot of competition for our company. I mean, it's very good for me in a company sense. It's like, you know, when Mark Zuckerberg did Facebook, there was Friendsters and, and there was MySpace, but they were different. They were different verticals. And I think Mark figured out how to do it horizontally, good or bad. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the beginning of when he started Facebook, now called Meta. But I'm saying utilizing AI in economics, because a lot of times AI is used in, in sort of fintech and consumerism, but not economic growth, where we're really talking about growing something organically, or it's called endogenous growth. Because I've studied Paul Romer's work, who won the Nobel Prize in 2018 for economic science. And he talked about the nature of ideas. And we, we were working on something like that in Stanford. And I put out a book in 2017 of January talking about cryptocurrencies, artificial intelligence, but about the utilization of it, but not the speculation. I never talked about speculation. I don't own any crypto. I, I would not. It, it's only... Once it's utilized in, in, its, in its pure tech form, will it create something that it was envisioned to do by the protocol that Satoshi Nakamoto sort of created? And it still fascinates me that people follow Bitcoin protocol, even for the tech and the non-tech, but they don't know who Satoshi is. But yeah, it's a white paper. You're just following a white paper because I think logically the world's going toward that iteration of evolution. And, and that's how AI could be utilized for good in an area to focus on it with economics in solving current problems, and then going forward to build sort of a new economy where it's not debt-based driven or consumer purchase only, because that leaves a natural imbalance in, in the current world structure. The Western countries are great. We do okay, and we go up and down. But the emerging and developing countries they just get stuck, and they seem to go in a circle loop. And then there's wars as a result of these things, and territory fights, and so forth. So that's an area, I think, where it could be more advanced is AI in the economic realm, not so much the consumer fintech realm, which is fine. But consumer fintech, in my mind, is, you know, you're using AI to process like PayPal. You're using something like, that's where I think Elon just iterated later, because PayPal is using it for finance. You're just moving things back and forth and you're just authenticating everything. But then he starts going on to SpaceX next because he's like, well, let me use technology in a different way. And I I do think he's using AI on on all of his projects and have Right. So how can that tech solve real problems today? Do you see anything even particular about like Southern California, where we're both at right now, where you think AI could help predict some outcomes for small businesses or, or that community? I'm looking to do it regionally, then globally. But yeah, um, it's exact, I'm, so I'm part of the Southern Cal Innovation Hub, right, which is this AI. It's an artificial intelligence coordination between San Diego literally San Diego County, Orange County, and Los Angeles County. And so there's a SoCal Innovation Hub that's kind of bringing it together. But there's all three groups. Like I think this is the CEO in Orange County, is the CEO Leadership Alliance. 
And then in San Diego, there's another group. I can't remember their name off the top of my head. And I'm talking about the county itself. So each one's representing a county. Because, you know, and then and then also there's one in Northern California that I'm, I'm also associated with, where if you look at California as its own economy in the U.S., it, it's still pretty significant as an economic, you know, just an economic cycle in the United States, period. That's why so many politicians like California, right? Because they can sway the votes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're looking to do that as sort of our, our once, you know, we are raising capital. You know, we're crowdfunding currently, but we are also, our, our total raise is about $6 million, And so we're talking to uh, venture capitalists, private high net worth investors as well. Our crowdfunding is more smaller. It's just like in a several hundred thousand rate because most people can only invest a few thousand. But I always like to try to give back if they, you know, if you tell people, if you're a Steve Jobs and you're like, Steve Jobs, like, okay, I've got this Apple company. In several years, you'll see the potential and people are like, oh, whatever. But then they, you know, kick themselves 15 years later and like, oh, I wish I would have bought that Apple stock for like $15, you know, when I could. But you give people a chance and you, and you get the word out and you see what happens. On side of helping it, once you build a system, you share it. There is some open source projects, but they, I think the open source, like OpenAI as an example, Elon Musk funds that, as well as Microsoft. They both put a billion dollars into it. Uh, it, is an, it is an open source project, OpenAI, it, it claims it, but some of the research does go back to Microsoft and, 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 and to Musk to be able to see it. And then DeepMind is another research for AI, but they're, they're owned by Google. And so I'm also very focused on democratizing artificial intelligence for the benefit of everyone. I, I really believe that needs to be democratized in, in a sense of tying it to economics and making it utilized for everyone that may need it for the benefit of humanity, where it's profitable and it makes money, but it's not just an upsurping. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. As life moves online, brick and mortar businesses are having to adapt to survive. With over 18 years of experience building reliable web products and services, ThoughtBot is the technology partner you can trust. We provide the technical expertise to enable your business to adapt and thrive in a changing environment. We start by understanding what's important to your customers to help you transition to intuitive digital services your customers will trust. We take the time to understand what makes your business great and work fast yet thoroughly to build, test, and validate ideas, helping you discover new customers. Take your business online with design-driven digital acceleration. Find out more at tbot.io slash acceleration, or click the link in the show notes for this episode. With that democratizing it, is there also a need to increase the understanding of the ethics around it? And when there are certain known use cases for AI where it actually is discriminatory and kind of plays to systemic problems in our society. Are you familiar with that as well? Yes, absolutely. Well, that's my whole point. And, and Victoria, you just hit the head on the nail. Truly democratizing AI in my mind and in my brain, the way it works, is it is opened up for everyone because if you really roll it back, okay, companies, you know, now, now we're learning, we used to call it like several years ago, UGC, right? User-generated content. And now a lot of people are like, okay, if you're on Facebook, you're the product right? Or if you're on Instagram, you're the product, you know, and they're using you and they're using your data to sell, et cetera, et cetera. But user-generated content has always been that. It's just a matter of the sharing of the economic. That's why I keep going back to economics. So if people were, you know, you wouldn't have to necessarily do advertising if you did stakeholders with advertising, the users and the company. As an example, if it's a social media company, just throwing it out there. So let's say you have a social media, and this has been talked about, but I'm not the first to introduce this. This has been talked about for over 10 years, at least over 15 years. And it's, you share it as, as a triangle, three ways. So you have the user and, you know, and all of everything else. So take your current social media, and I won't pick on Facebook, but I'll just use them, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter even. You know, like there's Twitter's having issues uh, recently because Elon's trying to buy them or, or get out of buying them. Um, but you just look at that data, and then you share with the user base. What's the revenue model? And there needs to be one. Let me be very clear. There has to be incentive and there has to be profitability for people that join you earlier, you know, join the corporation or, or become shareholders or investors or become users or become customers. They have to be able to, you know, have a 
uh, uh, some benefit, not a not not extreme greater than everyone else, but a great benefit from coming in earlier by what they contributed at the time. And that was that is what makes a system holistic, in my opinion, like Reddit or any of these bloggers. But you make it where they use their their time and the users, and you share it with the company, and then the data and so forth, and, and the, whatever revenue economic model you have. And it's a sort of three-way split. It's just not always equal. And that's something that um, I think in economics, we're still, we're still on a zero-sum game. I win, you lose sort of economic model globally. You know, that's why there's a winner of a war and a loser of a war. But in reality, as you know, Victoria, there's no winners of any war, right? So it's funny how we keep saying, well, you know, because of the economic model. But Van Neumann, who talked about that, also talked about something called non-zero-sum game. When he talked about it in mathematics, that, you know, you could win and I could win. We just don't win equally because they never will match that. Like, it's like, so if I win, I may win 60, you win 40, or you may win 60, I win 40. And we agree to settle on that. It's an agreement versus, you know, I know I'm just going to, I'm just going to be 99 and you'll be 1% or I'm just going to be a hundred and you're at zero. And I think that our economic model tends to be a lot of that, right? Mm -hmm. When you push forth and there needs to be more of that when you talk about the core of economics, and I, I go way back, you know, prior to the Federal Reserve even being started, I just look at the world and, and it's always sort of been this land territorial issue of, of what goods are under the country. But we've got technology where we can mitigate a lot of things and sort of do the collective of help the earth and then let's go out to space, all of space. That's where my brain is focused on. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, that makes sense to me. I think that we're all going to have to evolve our economic models here in the future. I wonder too, as you're building your startup and you're building your company, what are some of the technology trade-offs you're having to make in the stack of the AI software that you're building? Hmm. Hmm. Good question. But, 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 but clarify, this may be a little deeper dive because that's a general question and I don't want to I don't want to. Um, well, yeah, go ahead. It's because when you're building AI and you're going to be processing a lot of data, I know many data scientists are they're familiar with the tools like Jupyter Notebooks and R and Python. And one issue that I'm I'm aware of is you know keeping the environments the same. So everything that goes into building your app and having those infrastructure as code for your data science applications, um, being able to pay afford to process all that data. <laughs> and there's just so many factors that go into building an AI app versus building something that's more like a web-based user form. So just curious if you've encountered those types of trade-offs or questions about, okay, how are we going to actually build an app that we can put out on everybody's phone and that works responsibly? Oh, okay. So, so let me be, let me be very clear, but I won't give too many, I won't give too many of the secret sauce away, but I can just, I can define this technique because this is a technical audience. This is not, yeah. so what you're really talking about is two, two things. Well, and, and I'm clear about this though. So the app maker won't really read and write a lot of data. It'll just be the app where people can just get onboard digitization, right? Simple. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, process payments, maybe connect with someone like America Express, Square, MasterCard, whatever. And so that's just letting them function, right? That's sort of small fintech in my mind. A to, you know, just transaction A to B, B to A, et cetera. And it doesn't need to be peer-to-peer -peer in all of the crypto. It doesn't even need to go that level yet. That's just level one. Then they will sign up for a service, uh, which is because we're really focused on artificial intelligence as a service. And, and that, to me, is the next iteration for AI. I've been talking about this for about three or four years now, literally, um, in, in different conferences and so forth, and people haven't hit it. But that we will get to that point where AI will become AI as a service, just like SaaS is. We're still at the, you know, most of the world on the legacy systems are still as software as a service. We're about to hit AI as a service because where the, the world is evolving, and this is true, they did shut it down, but you did have, okay, so there's two case points we can, I can bring up. So JP Morgan did create something called a coin, um, and it was using AI, and it, it was a coin, like crypto coin, like a token, but they called it a coin. But it could process, I think, something like, and I may be off on this, so, you know, to the sticklers that, that will be listening, please, I'm telling you I'm off. I may be off on the exact, the exact quote, but I think it was about, it was something crazy to me, like 
200,000 of, of, of legal hours in seconds that it could process because it was basically taking the corporate legal structure of J.P. Morgan, one of the biggest banks. I think they are the biggest bank in the U.S., J.P. Morgan Chase. And it was they were saying in 2017 how we created this and it's going to alleviate this many hours of legal work for the bank. And I think politically something happened because they just pulled away. I still have the original press release when they put it out and it was in the media and then it went away. I mean, no implementation, I think, because there was going to be a big loss of jobs for it. Um, and it basically would have been white collar legal jobs, most specifically lawyers, literally that were working for the bank. Um, and, the, and, and when they were talking to an investment, it was a committee I was at a conference and I was like, I was fascinated by that. And they were basically using Bitcoin protocol as a tokenization protocol, but they were using AI to process it. And it, it was basically looking at, because legal contracts are basically the same. You can teach it with natural language processing them and be able to encode and, you know, sort of just almost output it itself um, and then be able to speak with each other. Another case point was um, uh, Facebook, right? They had, what was it, two AI systems. They began to create their own language. I don't know if you remember that story or heard about it. And Facebook shut it down. And this was more like two years ago, I think, when they were saying uh, Facebook was talking, to, you know, um, when they were Facebook, not Meta. So maybe it was three years ago. And they were talking. They were like, oh, yeah, Facebook has languages talking to each other. And it created its own little site language because it was two AIs, bots, like going back and forth. And then and, and the engineers at Facebook said, we got to shut this down because this is kind of getting out of the box. So when you talk about AI as a service, yes, the good and the bad and what you take away is AWS, uh, Oracle, um, Google, Cloud, they do have services where it doesn't need to cost you as much anymore as it used to in the beginning if you know what you're doing ahead of time. And you're not just running iterations or data processing because you're, you're doing guesswork versus, in my opinion versus actually narrowing exactly specifically what you're looking for and the data set you're looking to get out of it. And then you're, you're talking about just basically putting in containers and clustering it. They can sweep against different operations. And so what you're really looking at is something called an in-scale graph data that can process data in, in maybe sub-seconds at the pedal level, excuse me. And one of my and one of my advisors is the head of that anyway at AGI Laboratories. So he's got a, an in-graph database that can process, when, when we implement it, we'll be able to process data at sort of the petabyte level at sub-seconds. And it can run on platforms like Azure or AWS and, and so forth. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it sounds like cloud providers are making compute services more affordable. You've got data, the in-scale graph data that can run more transactions more quickly. And I'm curious if you see any future trends, since I know you're a futurist, around quantum computing and how that could affect capacity for... Oh, we haven't even got there yet. <laughs> yes. Well, if you look at in scale, see, if you know what you're doing, you know what to look for, then the quantum just starts going across different domains as well, but at a higher it rate. Like So, so there's been some quantum computers online. There's been several... Well, Google has their quantum computer coming online, and they've been working on it. So and, they, and Google has enough data, of course, <laughs> to process. So, so yeah, they've got that data, right? Lots of data. And quantum needs, you know, if it's going to do something, it needs lots of data. But then the inference will still be, I, I think quantum is very good at processing large, large, large amounts of data. We can just keep going <laughs> if, if you really have a good quantum computer, but it's really narrow. You have to tell it exactly what it wants and it will do it in what we call, which is great, like in, you know, P over NP squared or P over NP, which is you want to do it in polynomial time, not non-polynomial polynomial time, which is now I'm speaking too fast. Okay. My brain is going faster than my lips. Uh, let me slow it down. So when you start thinking about processing, you're, if we as humans, let's say if I was going to process A to Z and I'm like, okay, here's this equation. If I tell you it takes a thousand years, it's of no use to us, to me and you, Victoria, because we're living now. Now, you know, the earth may benefit a thousand years, but it's still of no use. So, but if I could take this large amount of data and have it processed within minutes, you know, uh, worst case hours, and, but then I'll even go down seconds or sub seconds, then that's really a benefit to humanity now. 
today in the, in the you know present term. And so as a futurist, yes, it, as the world, we will continue to add data. We already, we're doing it every day and we already knew this was coming, right? 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, even actually in the 50s when we were in the AI winter, we're, we're now in the AI summer in my, in my words, I call it the AI summer. So as you're doing this, that data is going to continue to increase and quantum will be needed for that. But then the specific need of quantum is very good at looking at a specific issue specifically for that very narrow, like, um, like if you were going to do, you know, the trajectory to, to Jupiter, or if we wanted to send a, a, a probe to Jupiter or something, I think we're sending something out there now hmm. um, from NASA and so forth, then you, you need to process all the variables. But, it, but it's got one trajectory. It's going one place only. That's what I'm talking Gotcha. Well, that's, that's so interesting. I'm glad I asked you that question. And speaking of rockets going off to space, have you ever seen a SpaceX launch from the LA? Location? Actually, I saw one land, but not a launch. I need to go over there. It's only El Segundo, too. You're right. It's not too far from me. But um, they, you know, I, I, you got to give credit where credit is due. And Elon is a reusable rocket. See, that's where technology is solving real world problems. Because, you know, NASA... And and I have I you know my my chairman is, is his name is um, Alexander Naraki mm-hmm. you know his PhD but I call him Rocky he goes by Rocky mm-hmm. like I go by LS but it's just we talk about this like NASA's budget <laughs> like the, how can you reduce this and Elon says hey we'll come up with a reusable rocket that won't cost as much and be able to, and that's the key that was the kind of holy grail mm-hmm. where you know you can reuse the same rocket itself and then add some little variables on top of it. But the core, you wouldn't, you know, constantly be paying for. Right. And, and, and so I think, I think where the world is going, and, and let me be clear, Elon, you know, pushes a lot out there. He's just very good at it. Uh, but I'm also that, that kind of guy that I know that Tesla itself, you know, was started by two Stanford engineers. Mm-hmm. Elon came on later, like six months, and then he invested and became CEO, which was a great investment for Elon Musk. And then CEO, I just think it just fit his personality because mm-hmm. it was something he loved. But, but I also, I have studied for years Nikolai Tesla. And I understand what his contributions created where we are today with all the patents that he had. And so he's basically the father of Wi-Fi and why we're able to communicate in a lot of this. We've perfected it or improved it, but it was created by him in the 1800s. Right. And I don't think he came from as fortunate a background as Elon Musk either. Sometimes I wonder what I could have done if born into those similar circumstances. And I know you certainly made quite a name for yourself. Well, well, I'm just saying, yeah, he came from very, he did come from a poor area of Russia or, or what I think which is called the Russian territory, to be very honest. Oh, yeah. Eastern Europe. It was definitely Eastern Europe, but um, yeah, I don't know what you start thinking about that. Well, that's just my own, my own personal. You're making me laugh, Victoria. You're making me laugh. Uh, no, I actually went camping on a backpack trip to the Catalina Islands, and there happened to be a SpaceX launch that night. And we thought it was aliens because it looked wild. I didn't realize there was, but then we figured it was a launch. So it was really great. I love, um, you know, being here and, and being close to some of this technology and the advancements that are going on. I'm curious if you have some thoughts about. Um, I hear a lot about you or used to hear way about like Silicon Valley tech, um, like very Northern California, San Francisco focus. But what's the differences in SoCal? Like, what is it, What do you find in those two communities? What's the makes SoCal special? <laughs> well, well, I think it's cool. I, I, I actually that's what, OK. So democratizing AI. Mm-hmm. I've been on a movement like that because in 2015 I was in Dubai and they were talking about creating Silicon Oasis. And so there's always been this model of, um, you know, because they were always talking about, you know, the whole Palo Alto thing is people would say it, and it, it is true. I mean, I experienced it because I was in a two-year program, you know, it's a postgraduate program, executive, but we would go up there, wasn't living up there. I have to go up there like maybe once every month for like three weeks, every other month or something. But, you know, but when you're up there, it is the air and the water. It's just like people just breathe certain things, right? Because around the world, and I would travel to Japan and, and China in other different parts of Asia, Vietnam, et cetera, and you, you, in Africa, of course. And then so you see this, and, and people are like, so what is it about Silicon Valley? You know, and of course the show, there's a the Hollywood show about it, which is pretty, a lot accurate, which is interesting, the HBO show. But, but you would see that, and you would think, 
how are they able to just replicate this? And a lot of it is uh, a convergence. You know, by default, uh, they hear about these companies, access, because the key is access, right? And that's what we're like this podcast. I, I love the concept of, of ThinkBot because giving awareness, knowledge, and access allows other people to spread it and democratize it. So it's just not one physical location or you have to be in that particular area only to benefit. I mean, you could benefit in that area or you could benefit from any part of the world. But um, so they started at least, there was a lot of uh, people would go there, engineers would go there, they built company, VCs went there, et cetera. Now that's starting to spread. And, and other, other areas like Southern Cal are creating their own innovation hubs to be able to bring all three together. And those three are the engineers and, and, and founders and idea makers and startups. And you then need sort of the, you know, the expertise. I always tell people I'm older than 42. I'm not 22. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just keeping it 100. You know, I keep it real. I plan, so I'm not coming out at 19, you know. I mean, my son's 18, but I'm not coming out. Like, okay, this is my new startup. Hey, bam, you know. Give me a, give me a billion dollars. I'm good. And then let me just write off the next app. But when you look at that, there's that experience. Because even if you look at Mark Zuckerberg, you know, I always tell people that I said, but where credit is credit is due. He brought a senior team with him when he was younger and he didn't have the experience. And his only job has been Facebook out of college. He's had no other job. And now, you know, he's been CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation. That's fact. Sometimes that hurts people's feelings. Like, like you're right. You know, like he's had no other job. He's never had. Now that could be good and bad, but he's had no other job. And so that's just a credit, like if you can surround yourself with the right people and be focused on, on something, it, it can work to the good or the bad for your, your own personal success. But then having that open kind of architecture, and I think he's been trying to learn and, and others versus like an Elon Musk who embraces everything. He's just very open in that sense. But then, yeah, you have to come from these different backgrounds. But let's say Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, let's take a guy like myself or whatever who didn't grow up with all of that, who had to make these two ends meet, figure out how to do the next day, not just get to the next year, but get to the next day, get to the next week, get to the next month, then get to the next year. Mm -hmm. It just gives a different perspective as well. Humanity is always dealing with that um, because we had a lot of great engineers back in the early 1900s, good or bad. You know, you did have Nikolai Tesla, yet Edison. I'm talking about circa around like 1907 or 1909 mm -hmm. prior to World War I. Um, America had a lot of industrial. They were the innovators then, even though there was innovations happening in Europe and in Africa and China as well in Asia. But the innovation hub kind of created as the American quote unquote industrial revolution. And I think we're about to begin a new revolution, sort of tech and an industrial revolution that's going to take us to maybe from 20, we're 2022 now, but I'll say it takes us from 2020 to 2040 in my head. Right. So now that, you know, communities can really communicate across time zones and locations, maybe the hubs are more about solving specific problems or like regional issues. That makes a lot more sense. Yes. And collaborating too together, working together because scientists, you know, COVID taught us that, right? They, people thought you have to be in a certain place, but then a lot of collaboration came out of COVID, even though, you know, it was negative globally, even though it was still bad. If people were at home, they start collaborating and scientists would talk to scientists you know, businesses, entrepreneurs, and so forth. But if Orange County is bringing together the mentors, the venture capital, or at least Southern California innovation, and any other place, I want to say, that's not just Silicon Valley, because Silicon Valley already has it, we know that. Um, and that's that region, you know, it's not, it's San Jose all the way up to, I forgot how far north it's past San Francisco, actually. Mm -hmm. But it's that region of area where they encompass the real valley of Silicon Valley, if, if you're really there. And you talk about these regions, Yes, I think we're going to get to a more regional growth area, and then it'll go more micro to actually cities later in the future. But regional growth, I think, is going to be extremely important globally in the very near term. I'm, I'm literally saying from tomorrow to the next maybe 10 years, regional will really matter. And then whatever you have can scale globally anyway, because like this podcast we're doing, right? This can be distributed to anyone in the world, and they can listen at ease when they have time. Right. Yeah. I love it. It's uh, both exciting and also intimidating. <laughs> uh, and you know, you mentioned your son a little bit earlier, and I'm curious as a founder and someone who spent a good amount of time in graduate and PhD programs, if you feel 
like it's easy to connect with your son and, and maintain that balance and focusing on your family while you're building a company and investing in yourself very heavily? Well, I'm older, so I do. So it's it's okay. I mean, I've mentored him, you know, and me and his mom have a relationship that works. I, I would I would say we have a good relate. We have a better relationship now than when we were together. And it, it is what it is. But we have a communication level. And I think she she was just a great person because I never knew my real father ever. Um, supposedly I met him when I was two or one. I don't know, but I have no memories, no photos, nothing. And that was just the environment I grew up in. But when my son, he knows the truth of everything about that. He's actually uh, in college. I don't like the name of school because <laughs> it's on the East Coast and it's an Ivy League school. Ah. That's what I will say. And he didn't want to stay on the West Coast. You know, because I'm in Orange County and his mom's in Orange County. He's like, I want to get away from both of you people. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I, I'm, that's a joke. But um, he's very independent. He's doing well. He is a, When he graduated high school, he graduated 4.8 honors. He, he made the Bellatrix. He was at a STEM school. Wow. And has a high GPA. Oh, yeah. He's studying computer science and economics as well at an Ivy League. And, and he's already made two or three apps at college. And I said, you're not, Mark. So calm down. But anyway... <laughs> That was a recent conversation. I won't go there, but mm. then some will say, oh, some people say, LS, you should be so happy. You know, the, the what is it? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Mm-hmm. But this was something he chose, like right around 10 or 11. I'm like, whatever you want to do, you do. I support you no matter what. And his mom says, oh, no, I think you programmed him to be like you. I'm like, no, I can't do that. I just told him the truth about life. And, you know, he's he's pretty oh, tall. And he must played been- basketball in high school a lot. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, you must have inspired him. Yeah. Well, he's tall. He, he just ends up, he did emulate me in a lot of ways. I don't know why. I told him, just be yourself. But yes, he, he does tell me I'm an inspiration to that. I think because of all the struggles I've gone through when I was younger. And I'm always, you're always going through struggles. I mean, like, it's just who you are. I, I, I tell people, you know, you're building a company, you have success, you can see the future, but sometimes people can't see it. I made a joke, which I shouldn't really say, but I'm going to say it anyway because I do that. I said this the other night to some friends. I said, oh, Jeff Bezos' rocket, you know, blew up. I'm going, to, uh, you know, sad going up. It's his blue orbit or rocket or something. And then I said, Elon would tell Jeff, well, you only had one rocket blow up. I had three. <laughs> you know, because SpaceX had three. So these are billionaires talking to billionaires about, you know, most people like don't even care, right? You're worth X hundred billion dollars. I mean, they're worth a hundred billion plus, right? Right. I think Elon's around two hundred and sixty billion, and Jeff is one sixty or something. There, who cares about your rocket blowing up? But it's funny because the issues are still always going to be there. I've learned that. I'm still learning that. It doesn't matter, you know, how much wealth you have. You just want to create wealth for other people and better their lives. Mm-hmm. But the more you search on bettering lives, you're just going to have to wake up every day, be humble with it, and treat it as a new day, and go forward and solve the next crisis or problem. Because there will be one. There is not, you know, where there's no problems is what I'm trying to say. This this panacea where, you know, you or utopia where you you personally like, oh, yeah, I have all this wealth and health and I'm just great because, you know, Elon's had, you know, divorce issues. So did Jeff Bezos. So I told my son a lot about this. Like you never get to this world where it's perfect in your head. You're always going to be doing things. That sounds like an accurate future prediction if I ever heard one. Like there will be problems, like no matter what where you end up or what you choose to do, you'll still have problems. They'll just be different. <laughs> yeah. And then this is for women and men. It means you don't give up. You know, you just, you just keep hope alive and you keep going. And, and I believe personally in God and I'm a scientist who actually does, but I look at it more in a, in a golly aspect, but yeah, I just think um, you just keep going and you keep building because that's what we do as humanity. It's what we've done. It's why we're here. Right. And if, if people we're standing on the shoulders of giants and, I just always consider that, like from physicists and everyone. Right. And if people are interested in building something with you, you have that opportunity right now to invest via the crowdfunding app, correct? Yes, yes, yes. They can do that because the company is still the same company because eventually we're going to branch out. My complete vision for AIEDC is, is, is using artificial intelligence for economic development. And that will spread horizontally, not just vertically. Vertically right now, it's focused on, you know, just a mobile app maker digitization. Because there's so many businesses, even globally, and I'm not talking only e-commerce. So when I say small to mid-sized business, it can be a service business, car insurance, 
health insurance, anything. Um, it doesn't have to be selling a particular widget or project, you know, product. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. I don't, you know, interest rates and consumerism, but like, I'm not thinking about Shopify and that's fine, but I'm talking about small businesses and there's, there's the back offices, which is, there's a lot of tools for back offices for small businesses, but I'm talking about, they create their own mobile app more as a way to communicate with their customers, update them with their customers. And that's key, especially if there's disruptions. So let's say like, you know, there's been fires in California. There's what, in Mississippi or something, they're, they're out of water. You know, in Texas, they were last year, they had winter storm with electricity went out. So all of these things are disruptions. This is just in the U.S. And of course, I won't even talk about Pakistan, what's going on there and the flooding and just all these devastating things or even in China where there's a drought, where these disruptions, and that's not counting COVID, disrupts the cycle of business. It literally does. And it doesn't bubble up until later when maybe the central banks and the governments pay attention to it. You know, just like in Japan, when that nuclear, unfortunately, that nuclear meltdown happened because of the earthquake, it was, I think it was 2011. And that affected that economy for like five years, which is why the government has lower interest rates, you know, negative interest rates, because they had to try to get it back up. But if there's tools there and everyone's using more mobile apps and wearables, and we're going to go to the metaverse and all of that. So the Internet of Things can help communicate to that. So when these type of disruptions happen, the flow of business can continue, at least at the smaller level, for an affordable cost for the business. I'm not talking about absorbent costs because that's meaningless to me. Yeah, well, that, that sounds like a really exciting project. And I'm so grateful to have this time to chat with you today. Is there anything else you want to leave for our listeners? The thing that's get involved, maybe they can go to our crowdfunding page or if they've got questions, ask about it. Um, and spread the word. Because I think sometimes if you, you know, they talk about the success of all these companies, but a lot of it starts with the founder. And But it all, well, not a, a founder, if you're talking about a startup, it starts with the founder. But it also starts with the innovators that are around that founder, male or female, you know, whoever they are. And it also starts with that community, right? Building a, a collective community together. And that's why Silicon Valley is always looked at around the world as this sort of test case of, this is how you you create something from nothing and make it worth great value in the future. And I think that's starting to really spread around the world and more people are opening up to this. It's like the crowdfunding concept. I think it's a great idea, like more podcasts. I think this is a wonderful idea, podcasts in of themselves, so people can learn from people versus, you know, where in the past you would like only see an interview on the Business News Network or NBC or, or Fortune or something like that. And that's all you would understand. But this is a way where organically things can grow. I think the growth will continue and I think the future is bright. We just have to know that it takes work to get there. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for saying that and for sharing your time with us today. I learned a lot myself and I think our listeners will enjoy it as well. You can subscribe to the show and find notes along with a complete transcript for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobot.fm. You can find me on Twitter at Victoria's G. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening. See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.